I'm Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. We're hosts of the Follow us on podcast by with our acronym L W A F L M O Y T. We watch a full length movie on YouTube with you, and you listen to the podcast and yeah. watch the movie at the same right. time. Yeah, L W A F L M O Y T. Yeah, That's every Sunday, two p.m. Pacific Standard Time, or if you're Carl, five percent. Five yeah, Eastern right. Standard I'm time. so lazy. Three hours later, I finally get to the show. Five p.m. Let's hear the theme song. Oh, uh, da, 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 da. let's watch full, full length. length. Oh, wait, let's do a full minute promo. Oh, never mind. Bye. See, ya. See you next month. What's up, Oakland? Have you been missing out on live music and comedy? Remember Killer Dinners? Don't worry about a thing, because Soul Sausage Presents Pan Dementia has brought you the hottest freshest, sexiest new beast in the Bay Area. The Oakland Unicorn Speakeasy Comedy and Dinner Club in Koreatown, Northgate. Featuring comedians from NBC, MTV, Comedy Central, Soul Sausage TV, and YouTube. Tickets and packages, showtimes, and information are all at oaklandunicorn.com. Sponsored by Soul Sausage, Reek Disc Electronics, and True Healing Collective. Grand opening weekend, August 6th through 9th, featuring Kabir Singh and Xander Beltran. Tickets on sale now at oaklandunicorn.com. That's oaklandunicorn.com.
love the lie and lie the love Are hanging on me, push and shove Possession is the motivation that is hanging up The goddamn nation looks like we always end up in a rut Twisted children are killing frogs. Poor dumb rednecks rolling logs. Tired old ladies kissing dogs. I hate the human love of that stinking mud. I can't use it. Trying to make it real compared to what. He's got his war Folks don't know just what it's for Nobody gives us a rhyme or reason Have a one doubt They call it treason With chicken feathers all the way Teachers, what they think is right. They really got to be some kind of nut. I can't use it. I'm trying to make it real compared to what.
that be and where's that honey? Where's my God and where's my money? Unreal values, a crash distortion. Unwed mothers need abortion. Kind of brings to my old young King Tut. He did it now. Trying to make it real compared to what?
they made There's a rainbow before me
prohibirá la tierra sembrada, su distribución alimenta a todos, no solo el patrón. La tierra sembrada, su distribución alimenta a todos, no solo el patrón. Desde las Malvinas hasta la misión, vamos milicianos. Y canción, que no las teníamos, que América grita, empuja para adelante, y aquí no será tu salvadoreño, pequeño gigante, enseña y arriba, y aquí no será, aquí no será, fácil ocasión. Aquí no será tan solo un Vietnam, la América entera no permitirá otra intervención en El Salvador. Aquí no será fácil ocasión, aquí no será tan solo un Vietnam, la América entera no permitirá. Otra intervención en El Salvador. And with that, good morning to you. This is the B and you're tuned to Labor and Love Radio here at Mutiny Radio, 2781 21st Street corner of Florida and 21st. Welcome. Hope you had a good week. It's getting seems like it's getting more and more difficult for anyone who cares about justice and change, changing the very foundations. Uh, seems like it's harder and harder people like that to have a good day but have you hope you're having a good day anyway this is the B my name is Bill Morgan and I'm coming to you on mutiny radio the name of the show is labor and love labor history commentary opinion interviews by for and about working people and when I say working, I mean you. This is a show where we tell you how it is. We tell you that if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, <coughs> somebody like Jeff Bezos, for example, someone else, probably a lot of people, worked for that dollar they didn't get. That's where Mr. Bezos gets all his money, from the productivity of his workers. But will he provide them with paid sick leave? He did for a while, but now he doesn't. Remember, if you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table that is where you work, you're on the menu. And never, but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. When I say labor, I mean you, Labor and Love Radio, where the labor 
meets the road. Of course, they don't want you to have unions. Of course, they don't want you to unite. Your work makes them rich. And so now here's the deal workers are faced with. Go back to work and risk catching a virus that might kill you. It might have lasting effects on your health. That virus you catch at work, you might take back home with you and infect your family or the people you live with. But they'll take away your unemployment if you don't go back to work. You don't go back to work. You don't have a paycheck coming in. Our historically inept system of checks and balances hasn't checked anything, hasn't balanced anything. People are out on the street being evicted from their homes, losing that income that they were getting that kind of kept everything going. Go back to work and die. And your kids, what are you going to do about your kids now? Our government, in its august wisdom, has left us with uh, this alternative. Oh, so you got a job, huh? And you got kids? Oh, okay. Um, tell you what, uh, send your kids to school. Whoa. No, don't worry about it. Kids don't get it. The younger they are, the more likely they are not to get it. Okay, according to our president, can you trust him? One little kid died in Georgia, seven-year-old kid of the COVID. That's already too many to send your kids to school. What's going to happen? What's going to happen to all the Trump people? All the Trump people who have such faith in their president, are you really going to send your kid because he says so? Because he claims that it's safe? What do you really believe? Huh? Trump wants you to send your kid. The senator from Missouri says teachers who don't want to go back to work without... Assurances of safety can kiss his ass. <laughs> this is our government now. Okay, these are the people in our government. It's a Republican, Democrat. The important thing about them is that they're in our government. And they're telling you, you better go back to work and risk your life and your family's life or else starve. Right? They haven't passed the $600 unemployment package. They haven't passed the small business loan package. They haven't passed any of those things. They can't get together and make a deal. And now Mr. Trump says he's going to swoop in and save everything. It's almost like they planned it, huh? <laughs> Okay, enough said. Everybody knows what quandary we're in.
We started out today, well, we just played. The last one we played, Aquino Serra, by Enrique Ramirez, a local guy. In fact, a uh, uh, an immigration lawyer, a musician for a long time. Uh, the song Aquino Serra about how we're going to struggle against the domination of the fascists in El Salvador. Before that, we had Esther Phillips, and I wanted to throw in, because the name of the show is Labor and Love, right? I wanted it to have some of the love in there. And that's a beautiful Esther Phillips rendering of what a difference a day makes. Thanks to Sylvia for that one. And then before that, the ultimate song of anger and confusion in our government and the nonsense, the surrealistic aspect of our lives, <laughs> trying to make it real compared to what? Les McCann and Eddie Harris at the... Uh, Montrose uh, Jazz Festival, 1969, with a beautiful trumpet solo. I don't remember who that is, but the trumpet solo was very good. Well, what do we got for you today on Labor and Love? Just have to take a look. Continuation of our series about the San Francisco State strike, which was San Francisco State was one of the first uh, state public universities to have an ethnic studies department, and it didn't come through nothing. It came through a struggle, and uh People went down for it. People spent time in jail. People were beaten up by police. And it, uh, it was a watershed for the American University, the longest student strike <coughs> in history. Today's the 8th, huh? August 8th. Does that ring a bell? <coughs> On this day in 1945, the United States dropped an atomic bomb on Nagasaki, killing 100,000 people, say, in a split second, burning the hell out of everyone else, spreading radiation. Was it necessary? No, it wasn't necessary. Of course not. You never, that's a choice. That's always a choice. Um, radio labor. What we can do during this pandemic, how solidarity will help us. We've got uh, Francesca Fiorentini. How COVID-19 deniers are also a menace. We've got the labor beat. 
got Nina Simone singing, well, we'll come up. In fact, we'll play Nina right now. Atomic Lies. Labor History in Two Minutes. Murdered for Standing Up. Report on people getting killed for standing up for their labor rights. Birthday of Elizabeth Gurley Flynn. Who's Elizabeth Gurley Flynn, you say? Well, you should know, and after today, you will. Baltimore Bank Riot of 1835. Okay. Um, organizing Worksite has a story about a restaurant job action. And I'm continuing the story of the terrorist regime in the southwest of the United States. A great deal of attention is being paid now, and rightly so. It's about time that America wakes up to its realities. A lot of the attention is being paid to African Americans. And... Ge geographically, in the Southwest, it was Mexican and Mexican-Americans who were being terrorized. Something about that. Okay, let's get on with our show. I want to share some credos. that we have. These are things we believe on this show. Number one. No root, no fruit. Kids don't have a little brother working in the coal mine. They don't have a little sister coughing her lungs out in the looms of the big mill towns of the Northeast. Why? Because we organized we broke the back of the sweatshops in this country and have child labor laws. Those were not benevolent gifts from enlightened management. They were fought for, they were bled for, they were died for by working people. By people like us. Kids ought to know that. That's why I sing these songs. That's why I tell these stories, damn it. No root, no fruit. So this is uh, Utah Phillips talking about um, labor education for kids. Here's one. When the penalty for aborting after rape is more severe than the penalty for rape, that's when you know it's a war on women. What a contradiction. A woman gets raped. She doesn't want to have the child. She can get penalized for that. She can get jailed for that and fined for that. Meanwhile... The rapist 
gets off with a slap on the hand. In some case, cases, the courts insist that the rapist has to get visiting rights. What? How can that be? What about immigrants? What do we think about immigrants? Can I tell you a secret? I don't even care if they're undocumented immigrants in this country. Without Social Security numbers, they aren't privy to the welfare people claim they get. The vast majority of them are normal people trying to live a better life. This whole wall deport the illegals bullshit is just the 1% convincing the working poor to blame a subset of the working poor for the fact they're all poor. Instead of realizing the reason you're all poor is income inequality. You're poor, you're broke because you're not making enough money. Your wages are too low. Use your brains. It's not other working people. Why you're poor. It's because the people who control everything refuse to increase your wages. Huh? So you're not that into politics, are you? Huh? You're not that into politics. Well, DSA of Los Angeles says... Oh, you're just not that into politics. Your boss is, your landlord is, your insurance company is, and every day they use their political power to keep your pay low, raise your rent, and deny you coverage. Maybe it's time for you to get into politics, huh? Maybe. Now, here's a woman re trying to reason this out. I'm not allowed to get an abortion because I didn't realize I was pregnant till six weeks. Not allowed to get my tubes tied to prevent any more pregnancies because, once again, it has to be someone else's rules what I do with my body. Cut funding to pr Planned Parenthood so I can no longer get the cheap birth control. Cut funding to CHIP, WIC, and food assistance, making it harder for single mothers to take care of the child they were forced to have. I think I've got it. Government can't tell you what guns you can own. <coughs> Pardon me. Because that's violating your rights as an American citizen. But it's totally okay for them to tell me what I can and can't do with my own body. Hmm. It's okay to have a gun, huh? Pity the nation. This is by the great Lawrence Ferlinghetti. Pity the nation whose people are sheep and whose shepherds mislead them. Pity the nation whose leaders are liars, whose sages are silenced and whose bigots haunt the airwaves. Pity the nation that raises not its voice except to praise conquerors and acclaim the bully as hero 
and aims to rule the world by force and by torture. Pity the nation that knows no other language but its own and no other culture but its own. Pity the nation whose breath is money and sleeps the sleep of the too well-fed. Pity the nation, oh, pity the people who allow their rights to erode and their freedoms to be washed away. My country, tears of thee, sweet land of liberty. It's a... Lawrence Ferlinghetti's take on <clears throat> our situation. Pity the nation. While we were sitting there watching the ball game, they stole away our country. Okay, I want to play some uh, Nina Simone. Here we go. Apart. I wish you could know 
Hello, I'm Mark Boulanger from Radio Labour. It's important to remember our past, but only because it helps us face the present to make the future, and the future's always coming. Here's Benny Esguera and gang with Solidarity Forever, the new millennium version. 
Uh, no more division, no, we're bringing a new vision And it's just in time from ashes we get birth A new tradition, solidarity forever With a new millennium flavor Now we resurrecting it, one century later Keep our feet fixed on the past In order to stay rooted in our minds Eye on tomorrow so that today we get through this So that one day we're victorious So just gather now, come here Divisions are created by those who doubt and fear We give thanks to all the workers who put it all on the line Those who took it to the streets Moving crowds with conscious rhymes Those who gave their lives Give thanks to those who made lost lives only work for those who make them, not break them, be patient. The best way to protect your rights is by always knowing your rights. Without our brain and muscle, not a single wheel can turn. So put your hands together, all under one umbrella. It's time for unity, solidarity forever. Ah. never seen to help the people prosper your money's being hoarded and the people are unsupported social welfare's been aborted labor crimes go unreported when we try to fight back it seems we can't afford it we try to be united but they're implementing laws that are keeping us divided they're commodifying labor then they're bidding for the lowest they're thinking that it's clever but we know it's something better solidarity forever now jobs are disappearing and all we're ever hearing is pay a lot more get paid a little less Work a little harder than work a little longer But we're taking it no longer We're decided we're uniting Cause together we are stronger The unions got a back CBAs, protections, better wages, a fact So we're making our choice And we're making some noise We're walking with poise And we're raising our voice We're singing of Solidarity Forever was produced by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, the UFCW. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about caring for each other through global solidarity. In New Zealand I read a magazine Something nasty crossed my eye The earth that fed me in California Was turning cracked and dry New Zealand ferns are always green It rains more there than it should I looked to the cloud that was raining on me And said, go where you can do some good Cloud stop crying and wasting time and 
fly across the sky. Spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California. I don't want to see her die. Met a guy from San Francisco in a railway ticket line. He said the Grateful Dead was alive and well, but the weather wasn't so fine. Nobody had a garden, nothing lived but weeds. The earth looked like some kind of feverish person who'd caught a strange disease. He said the reservoirs are empty, cattle dying too. Every tongue is reaching out to sip the morning dew. And they say the fields and valleys are turning green to brown. That the farmers walk a dry and dusty mile in every farm in town. Clouds stop crying and wasting time and fly across the sky. And spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California. I don't want to see her die. I stared up to the diamond stars one cashmere night. Black velvet sky and a raging river was no other sound or sight. The Big Dipper hung up above the river and I felt that it was a shame. All this water here in California dry, I said to the Dipper by name. Reach down and kiss that raging river and fly across the sky. Spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California. I don't want to see her die. People and the animals like to gather where water flows. A beer, some tea, or a water hole, it's there where something grows. And remember the music water makes, the rainy pool and the circle dance. The thunder of the ocean and the waterfall, the laughing creek that feeds the plants. Now the fields are green again, beauty has returned. Tragedies continue to show what we still got to learn. Can't waste away the ocean, water, air, or land. If we upset this sacred ground, we won't have any place to stand. So reach down and kiss the raging river and fly across the sky. And spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California. I don't want to see her spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California. I don't want to see her die. Welcome back. <clears throat> Small musical interlude there. Give you a little relief from my rantings. Uh, that last one was Brother Charlie Morgan of Point Reyes Station, California. 
bringing his song about California drought year when California faced another type of crisis. He was out of the country at the time. But he wrote this loving song to California. Uh, Sweet California, he calls it. Charlie is a uh, DJ on WMR. W WRM in in Point Reyes. Uh, before that, we had Solidarity Forever in kind of a hip-hop version. That's on the uh, Radio Labor website. I think we can get something on radio we'll talk about. And um, before that was Nina Simone. You'll hear a lot of Nina Simone if you tune into this show. Nina Simone uh, with some beautiful piano work and I wish I would know could know what it is to be free and uh, Nina Simone it was kind of uh, Nina Simone was about as far from a commercial artist as as you could get she would relive the song while she was up on stage. Her anger at white people was patent. I mean, you could see it. And her confusion that there are all these white people clapping for her. You can feel her when she plays the song uh, Mississippi Goddamn at the end, uh, singing about Martin Luther King. Laughing at the audience as they clap to what she's saying, laughing to it, <laughs> because she knew it was wasn't going to go anywhere. That the agony of people, her people, wasn't going to be relieved. Here's some George Carlin. Say what you want about America, land of the free, home of the brave. We got some dumbass motherfuckers floating around this country. Dumbass motherfuckers. Yeah. The real owners, the big wealthy business interests that control things and make all the important decisions. The politicians are put there to give you the idea that you have freedom of choice. You don't. You have no choice. You have owners. They own you. They own everything. They own all the important land. They own and control the corporations. They've long since bought and paid for the Senate, the Congress, the state houses, the city halls. They got the judges in their back pockets. And they own all the big media companies, so they control just about all of the news and information you get to hear. They got you by the balls. They want more for themselves and less for everybody else. But I'll tell you what they don't want. They don't want a population of citizens capable of critical thinking. They don't want well-informed, well-educated people capable of critical thinking. They're not interested in that. That doesn't help them. That's against their interest. It's a big club, and you ain't in it. 
By the way, it's the same big club they used to beat you over the head with all day long when they tell you what to believe. All day long, beating you over the head in their media, telling you what to believe, what to think, and what to buy. They don't give a fuck about you. They don't give a fuck about you. They don't care about you at all, at all, at all. And nobody seems to notice, nobody seems to care. That's what the owners count on, the fact that Americans will probably remain willfully ignorant of the big red, white, and blue dick that's being jammed up their assholes every day. Because the owners of this country know the truth. It's called the American dream, because you have to be asleep to believe it. Here's uh, Francesca Fiorentini with her comments about the COVID-19 crisis. Spin the war. As Donald Trump continues to lose the war against a very real coronavirus, still failing to provide mass testing, coordinated containment, or adequate stimulus money, he and the right wing have decided to turn to the fake war happening in their heads that they can win, the culture war. You know, the one against paper straws, pronouns, Starbucks cups that say happy holidays, and women. Conservative and extremist groups behind the protests to stop shelter-in-place laws are pushing the argument that the U.S. should allow COVID-19 to run its so-called course and kill tens of thousands more people because liberty. And that's not just incredibly stupid. It's advocating for something far more sinister and yes, very racist. Just when you thought Trumpism couldn't get any more toxic, an infectious pandemic has proved you totally wrong. No more tyranny! No more tyranny! USA! 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 Bill Gates is a psychopath. Bill Gates wants to kill us all. Bill Gates wants us to have a mandatory vaccine. Bill yes. Gates wants us all microchips. Yes. Okay, okay, we get it. You're a Mac guy. The protests against coronavirus restrictions are the Serengeti of right-wing conspiracy Kool-Aid. Everyone's come to drink. You've got the anti-vaxxers with calls to fire Dr. Fauci, the 5G freaks, the QAnon whack jobs, the gun fanatics, the Alex Jones followers juiced on supplements, the Proud Boys flashing white power signs, and just in case it wasn't clear enough, this unbelievable urchin. Look, in some ways, I get their frustrations with wanting to go back to work. I mean, look at them. Hordes of people nobody wants to be stuck at home with. These are the housemates who with the door open and think a chore wheel is unconstitutional. And uniting them all is a man famous for public defecation, Donald Trump. Trump, despite punting the responsibility of the coronavirus response to governors, has been simultaneously encouraging protests against stay-at-home ordinances through Twitter and his press conferences. People feel that way. You're allowed to protest. Some have gone too far. Some governors have gone too far. Some of the things that happened are uh, maybe not so appropriate. The scary part about these protests isn't just the white nationalists. It's that they're being inflated and promoted by Fox News and powerful conservative lawmakers and organizations. The Michigan protest was a joint effort between the Michigan Conservative Coalition. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. Hello, I'm Mark Boulanger.
workers or tenants rights groups or immigrant rights groups, you know, the ones actually trying to help people, these demonstrations are not grassroots. Instead, they're the love child of the Koch brothers created Tea Party movement and Unite the Right, who, of course, were brother and sister to begin with, which explains this guy. This is weaponized Trumpism. Each MAGA-hatted ghoul is now their own biological weapon, and they believe that their right to spread coronavirus through their infected spittle while chanting USA is protected by the Second Amendment. From my cold, unwashed hands. But there is a line that many of the demonstrators have been parroting that's more ominous than the rest. People are gonna die. They die no matter what. Unfortunately, uh... People die, that's called uh, living. Uh, you're, we're all gonna, uh, we're not gonna make it out alive. It's the flu. The people who have poor health are always the most vulnerable. God bless them. But we have to get back to work because the rest of us matter too. Thank you, Karen, for all lives mattering the coronavirus. Here's the thing though, asymptomatic people can spread coronavirus too. The mental gymnastics these people are doing is remarkable. All I'm saying is maybe the real victims are the perpetrators. The idea that we should simply allow coronavirus to kill whoever it happens to kill is an idea that has been explicitly articulated in private by the president, according to many reports. And he's even had the sociopathic gall to say it publicly. Some of the doctors say it will wash through, it will flow through. I say wash, it washes through. Other people don't like that term but where it washes through. That was always an alternative. That's what I said, let it rip, let it ride, do nothing. Let it rip, let it ride? That's not how to talk about a massive loss of life. But coincidentally, that has been my policy on farting while sheltering in place. Legumes and nightshades do it to me every time. <laughs> I just like to say nightshades. And of course, just like the guy who ate hydroxychloroquine and died, or the bar owner who went on a cruise and died, people are listening to the bad advice of this president, like those still crowding onto the beaches of Florida. What some people told me when I was talking to the college students, a couple of them said the exact same things that President Trump recently said, that they felt that this would wash over, that they felt this was like the flu. Oh, great. Now is when college kids are listening to authority? Trump is like a deadbeat dad who shows up once a year with a six-pack like, don't listen to your mother, all right? Drinking and driving can be fun. Okay, let's imagine that Trump's sadistic fascination is correct, that the best way to get rid of the virus is to let it run its course. We never sheltered in place, and we continued to work and went to malls and bars and beaches. The public research university, Imperial College in London, ran a simulation based on numbers in other countries and concluded that if the US did nothing, 80% of Americans would get the disease, 2.2 million Americans would die from the virus itself, specifically between 4 and 8% of all Americans over the age of 70. 2.2 million. For some comparison, that's more deaths than the casualties from every war in American history combined. But the real question isn't how many people will die if we go about business as usual, it's who will die. And we don't need a simulation to know the answer. In New York City, the epicenter of COVID-19, the virus is twice as deadly for blacks and Latinos than it is for whites. In states like Wisconsin and Kansas, where only 6% of the population is black, black people make up 40 and 30% of the coronavirus deaths, respectively. In Michigan, where protesters staged Operation Gridlock, 
only 14% of the population is black. And yet black Michiganders are 33% of the coronavirus cases and 40% of deaths. State after state, city after city, the stark patterns are the same. Why? Well, that's for many other Newsbroke videos, but off the top of my head, uh, lack of health insurance and treatment for underlying health conditions, environmental racism that puts polluting industries next to black communities, which can lead to underlying conditions like asthma forming in the first place, food deserts that make it hard to eat healthy, the fact that black people are often not believed by healthcare providers when they say are in pain, poverty, Jim Crow, and 250 years of slavery. Other than that, I can't imagine why. 5G? And people of color, in addition to women, are also more likely to be essential workers. People like Detroit bus driver Jason Hargrove, an essential worker who posted this video seen by millions on Facebook complaining about a sick passenger who he felt should never have walked out of her home. It was about a good eight, nine people on the bus as she stood there and coughed. That lets me know that some folks don't care. He was a married father of six, and he died of COVID-19 just 11 days later. Now let's check in with the makeup of the anti-quarantine protest, shall we? White, 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 white. Oh, and here's a guy in San Diego holding a sign that says, let my people golf. The only way that could be whiter is if he went home and gave the protest a one-star Yelp review, which it deserved. What these protesters are implicitly saying is they don't mind people dying so long as they don't look like them. So it's no wonder that white supremacists are flocking to these demonstrations because in effect, the argument to just let people die is one of pandemic eugenics. Letting the vulnerable, minorities, the elderly, and the disabled die is essentially part of an ideology that believes that the coronavirus is just nature's way of killing off the weak links in the gene pool. It's social Darwinism and survival of the fittest at its grossest, especially when these protesters aren't exactly the fittest. Look, I'm not saying that they aren't hurting too. The small business loans, stimulus checks, and unemployment benefits are not enough. But instead of joining those who are demanding a bailout of people and not corporations, these protesters are being further radicalized by right-wing media, lawmakers, and as always, Facebook. If we go on with our lives or go back to normalcy without a real public health solution, we're effectively saying that the people who are arguably doing the most to keep us healthy and fed and receiving our packages with shiny new sweatpants to wear to the living room, you know, the ones who are helping maintain the last semblance of normalcy we have, they should be the ones to die. And that is some racist bullshit that should always live under quarantine. Hey everyone, Matt Lieb here. I've been uh, producing and uh, writing jokes for Newsbroke and uh, we're so glad that you're here to watch all of our quarantine special, Helter Shelter. Uh, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Subscribe to AJ Plus. And uh, you know, thanks so much for watching. We've been stuck together for like weeks, it feels like years now, but it's been really nice. You guys hear something? Okay, that was uh, Francesca Fiorentini from Newsbroke telling her version of uh, the news, coronavirus. Her claim is that the uh, 
anti-pandemic, uh, the <clears throat> anti-mask people, for example, who want to send their kids back to school, who want to go back to work, are counting on the fact that blacks and Latinos get the disease twice as often as whites on the average. So sure, they're going to go back to work. It's not going to be them. They think, of course they will. Uh, Florida had had to open its beaches and party. Now it's the center, the center of the pandemic worldwide. Same with Georgia. Two governors who followed Mr. Trump, Mr. Trump's directives. Arizona, Texas, our own California, which reopened too soon uh, from pressure by the business community. Okay, here's radio labor. What are workers around the world, teachers uh, around the world saying about this pandemic? This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. Hello, I'm Mark Boulanger. Around the world, teachers are calling on governments and their fellow citizens to learn the lessons the pandemic has taught about inequality and poor public services. The Global Union for Teachers and Other Educators, Education International, has been on the forefront of efforts to remind everybody that we cannot go back to what was called normal. David Edwards is EI's General Secretary. We have been talking about the fact that it is not the same impact when a pandemic hits. Yes, as human beings, it's all of us together against the virus. But some people are able to shelter in place in palaces, with Wi-Fi, with food stocks. Others are hundreds and thousands of kilometers from their home because they're migrant workers and now they have to find their way back across India to get home. Maybe they're in a favela. Maybe they're sharing a room. Maybe they can't socially distance. All of the inequalities, all of the gross inequality is on full display. It's up to us to teach this lesson. Dealing with the fact that for some in the, the richest 1%, they just went from school to online. Their Wi-Fi, their broadband was the same. The teachers had been trained. They had their own laptops. They flipped on. Now, I don't say it was great. I don't think emergency online education experience has been the great disruptive change that many in the edu businesses would have hoped it would have been. I think what it did do is, in terms of also exposing the great inequalities, it also showed us as educators at our best. Everyone now is talking about paying teachers more and education support personnel more. Yeah? They're saying they're, they're seeing people delivering books, teaching special needs kids through glass, driving places, teachers driving into, into parking lots so they can get Wi-Fi, so they can teach their classes online. People are seeing what we have all seen, which is why we're all in this profession, which is why we're all in this movement. Yeah? Because this movement is about the present and the future. We have to take the lessons of now and we have to 
not just teach people about the fact that there's no going back, but we need to fix this. And that means in the very near future, when the conversations are coming about the fact that the economic recessions brought on by the lockdowns are going to mean less money for public services, we have to be there to help our brothers and sisters in the public health services, talking about looking at countries that had good public health care and those like mine that didn't. Yeah. In terms of public education, all that good energy for paying teachers more, investing more, making sure that there's, there's physical space for social distancing, infrastructure, health, nutrition, hygiene, all of that is for naught if we cannot translate into a political agenda that we drive through. If you don't want this to happen again, if you want to be resilient and ready and responsive for the future and equitable, you listen to these lessons. And sometimes, folks, they're not going to want to listen to us. So we're going to have to find new ways of making them. We're going to have to find new ways of organizing. EI is committed to that. What lays ahead is not going to be easy. We at EI know it's not going to be easy. But together, we are going to take the commitment, the creativity, and all that we've learned, and all those values that hold us together and keep us. And I mean, one of the things I just love is it the word solidarity? Yeah. That's a word you hear on television news channels now. You hear it everywhere, right? The world is speaking our language. Do they understand its meaning? Well, that's up for us. We have to continue to teach. We'll have to continue to learn. We'll have to continue to mobilize and organize together. And we will persist. And we will resist. And together, we can build a new and better future for everyone. That was uh, David Edwards. <clears throat> um, worldwide, the General Secretary of Education International, talking about how we've got to take this moment and translate it into a political movement. Make sure these things don't happen again. The coronavirus has exposed us especially here in the United States, for what we are. The World Health Organization, check this out. The World Health Organization is saying that it's better for children to go back to school because then they'll get their lunches, they'll get fed. So many people at home are staying at home and aren't getting fed enough. They're saying schools should probably open for that, for that reason. That's how screwed up we are. That's how crazy for profits this country is. Our little kids don't have enough food to eat. I want to sort of pivot now. Um, I'm going to talk a little. I started talking about this last week, <coughs> about changing the name of the Texas Rangers baseball team and what that brings up. Um, 
There was an incident in El Paso where several people were killed with machine guns. That shooting brings back the people's memories of Matanza. It's called the slaughter from 1910 to 1920s. Carried out by and large by the Texas Rangers who often functioned as uh, clans people. Estimated 571 lynchings of Mexicans and Mexicans Americans, and that means all Latinos from 1848 to 1928. But what about it? What about changing the name of the Texas Rangers? Estimate of 300 murders in the Rio Grande Valley. In 1915, as Mexicans fled the violence during their civil war in Mexico and came to the United States, this is what we, this is what we were confronted with. The shooter, the guy at the El Paso who did all the shootings, had a white supremacy manifesto and it said his attack was to stop a Hispanic invasion of Texas. Hispanic invasion of Texas. The point is that what was happening in the South, day in, day out, year in, year out, lynchings, was happening in the Southwest, here in California, where there were signs, no Mexicans or dogs allowed. The prejudice here was every bit as vitriolic and hate-filled as it was as it was in the Southwest. Lynch mobs killed Latinos across the West. And now it's just coming to, to sight. Here's something by the Youth Brigade, Men in Blue. What we gonna do about the Men in Blue? What we gonna do? What we gonna do about the Men in Blue?
también voló California y Nevada. Con Utah no se llenaron. El estado de Wyoming también nos lo arrebataron. Yo soy la sangre del indio. Soy latino, soy mestizo. Somos de todos colores y de todos los oficios. Y aunque le duela al vecino, somos más americanos. Lots of folks back east, they say hello every day. Hit in the hot old dusty way to the California line. Across that desert sand they go. They're getting out of that old dust bowl. They think they're going to a sugar bowl. But here is what they find. Oh, the police at the port of entry say. You're number 14,000 for today. Hey, well, if you ain't got the do re me, boy. If you ain't got the do re me, better go on back to beautiful. 
Georgia, Tennessee. California is the garden of Eden. The paradise to live in won't see. But believe it or not, you won't find it so hard if you ain't got the toe in me. If you want a house or farm that won't do nobody harm, take your vacation by the mountains or the sea. Don't swap that old car for a car. Better stay right where you are. You had better take this tip from me. Cause I read it in the want hands every day. And the headlines on the papers always say. about the men in blue and this is really one of the one of the many crises we're going through now at this time seems like all at once the police what's happening this the solution of the problem of the police going out and murdering people and being under pressure Being uh, an in-group, an ingrown group with its own uh, inner conversation. Police themselves are going to have to come up with a solution. The quote-unquote good police, like we heard last week in Ice Cube's song, are going to have to be the ones to come out and lead the transformation of police force to... Uh, a peacekeeping unit. After that, we had uh, America 13, Somos Más Americanos, Gayos. We are, we are more American than they are. We didn't cross the border. The border crossed us. We're strangers on our own land. And we finished up with a Woody Guthrie song sung by Bob Dylan. The Do Re Mi. There's a nice, much hotter version of that with uh, Ry Cooter and Flaco Jimenez. Waiting now for a phone call. We're going to have a phone call from uh, our campus radicals. We'll see what they have to say today. 
kind of run down a story that goes hand in hand with with what we're talking about, the lynching of uh, Mexicans and Mexican-Americans and Latinos in this uh, state, in this horrible situation for all of them. How did American lawmakers come to sterilize Mexican-Americans? In his chilling new book, Hitler in Los Angeles, how Jews foiled Nazi plots against Hollywood and America. Scholar Steve Ross chronicles how Hitler and American Nazis planned to take over the United States, using Los Angeles as their stronghold. Their plot included machine gunning Jews on the streets and publicly hanging prominent entertainment district figures such as Al Jolson and Samuel Goldwyn. I'm reading a book now called uh, Cast. And one of the points of this book, which shows how cast works as opposed to what we think of class. America was a rigid caste system. And Hitler and the Nazis and the the German intellectuals and technicians <coughs> were planning anti-Jewish laws in, the 19, in 1934, examine the practice of American white supremacists, the whole idea of eugenics, that some races are better equipped than others. Uh, this came out of the United States that's where, that's where these people got their ideas. And um, Hitler loved it that the United States could have this absolute caste system and at the same time have a great reputation around the world as, as a democratic society. He thought that was a wonderful uh, thing that was done by propaganda. The notion that racist Nazi ideologies gained a foothold in the United States is more than plausible given the 20th century, early 20th century popularity here of eugenics, science of improving human population by controlled breeding. They weren't just cocktail party chatter among a handful of extremists. They were codified into laws and practices that, in the Southwest, targeted people of Mexican origin. It's on the history website. California began mandating forced sterilization in 1907 of those men and women deemed mentally inferior. or otherwise unfit to propagate. By 1964, the state had sterilized 20,000 people, mostly poor women, African-Americans, and immigrants. Women and men of Mexican descent were sterilized at disproportionate rates. As Mexicans continued crossing the border, 
to provide the cheap labor for America's rapidly expanding industrial agriculture. Critics viewed them as an even greater threat to the purity part Mexicans are Indians, Texas Representative John C. Bach said, and very seldom become naturalized. They know little of sanitation, are very low mentally, and are generally unhealthy. Employers who relied on the labor of Mexican workers fought to preserve immigration from Mexico and won. But in cities like Los Angeles and El Monte, where many Mexican immigrants settled, health officials targeted Mexican women and children with Americanization programs aiming to cure them of their ills, etc., etc. Mexican Americans are the targets of American racism. All right, how about some labor history now? The 8th of August, murdered for standing up. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1850. That was the day that two tailors who were out on strike in New York City were killed in a confrontation with the police. It is thought that they were the first workers to die while participating in a strike in the United States. They certainly would not be the last. The United States has one of the bloodiest labor histories of any industrial nation. It's estimated that at least 700 people have lost their lives to violence during a strike. The vast majority of those slain were workers. Some of the most bloody conflicts included the Great Upheaval of 1877, where across the country 100 workers lost their lives in an uprising of railway labor. Then, in 1892, the strike against Carnegie Steel in Homestead, Pennsylvania, nine strikers and three Pinkerton agents died. Two years later, 30 workers died across the country in a boycott and strike against the Pullman Palace Car Company. One of the most infamous labor massacres occurred in Ludlow, Colorado in 1914. During this coal mining strike, gun thugs hired by the company rained machine gun bullets and fire down on a tent colony of striking workers. At least 19 people were killed. 11 of them were children. In 1937, 10 workers died on Memorial Day at a demonstration against Republic Steel in Chicago. These are just some of the battles, massacres, and murders that shaped the American labor movement. Too often, the toil of this bloodshed is not taught in history classes. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and The Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. 
this day in labor history, the year was 1890. That was the day that one of the heroines of the U.S. labor movement, Elizabeth Gurley Flynn, was born in Concord, New Hampshire. Elizabeth learned her progressive politics at a young age. Her father was a socialist and her mother a feminist. Elizabeth was kicked out of high school for speaking out in favor of socialism. This did not slow her down. She kept speaking and her reputation grew. She became a member of the Industrial Workers of the World. She traveled the country organizing and speaking to workers. From the Minnesota Iron Range to the textile mills of Lawrence, Massachusetts, Elizabeth was on the front lines of the labor struggle. She was arrested for her activity 10 times, but was never sentenced. During World War I, Flynn was arrested and stood trial for speaking out against the war. The experience led her to become one of the founders of the American Civil Liberties Union, an organization dedicated to protecting freedom of speech. In the 1930s, Flynn became a member of the U.S. Communist Party, writing a regular column for the Daily Worker. But despite her personal political ideas, she supported Democratic Party President Franklin Delano Roosevelt in 1944. During the 1950s, she was caught up in the anti-communist hysteria led by Senator Joe McCarthy. She went to prison for two years for allegedly violating the Smith Act, a law against overthrowing the government. She died while on a visit to Russia in 1964. More than 20,000 people attended her funeral there. A monument to Flynn stands at the Forest Home Cemetery just outside of Chicago, where she is buried alongside the graves of Eugene Dennis, Big Bill Haywood, and the Haymarket Martyrs. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at laborhistoryin2. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1835. That was the day that began the Baltimore Bank Riot. The Bank of Maryland had failed in 1834. Thousands of people who had deposited money in the bank saw their savings vanish. For nearly a year and a half, the depositors wanted their money to be returned. Anger grew. Some of that anger was directed at one of the bank's directors, Reverdy Johnson. The bank directors were accused of fraud and speculation that had caused the bank's failure. The bank officials were also dragging their feet on settling accounts with bank clients because the directors wanted to keep their personal fortunes. A crowd gathered around Director Johnson's house and broke out some windows. The mayor of Baltimore ordered a troop of 30 armed guards to protect Johnson's residence. The next day, the angry mob turned their attention to another director, John Glenn. They began to demolish his home before the mounted guards stopped the damage. Two days later, the mob returned to director Johnson's home. This time, they were able to overpower the guards. They piled up Johnson's property in the street and set it on fire. The crowd swelled and moved on to destroy property of other bank directors. Revolutionary War veteran Sam Smith organized a militia of 3,000 men to stop the destruction. The leaders of the bank protest were arrested and jailed. The bank directors received $100,000 from the state as compensation for the destruction of their property. The bankers were not held responsible for their actions, which caused the bank to fail. 
Does this sound familiar? Most of the bankers who caused the 2008 crash also never faced consequences. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. I'm Rick Smith. Okay, Labor History in Two. Is it with Gurley Flynn, someone who certainly deserves a wider audience, wider awareness. This is the B. It's Labor and Love Radio. Just about done our show for August. August 8th, I didn't get to the Hiroshima. The Muppets are creating an incredible new show for Disney Plus. Check out how cool these are. These are bright, right? table, negotiating table where you work, you're on the menu. Never, never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. Wishing you a good week and good work. Stay tuned for Flat Black Plastic. Scott O. Walker here on Mutiny Radio. Good week and good work. See you next week and we'll continue on with all those stories. swimming through a sea of podcasts. Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me sea dogs and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutinyradio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice. LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk, 
Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shitface McRat. <laughs> Anti-Trump is the antivirus or antibody to the Trump virus. We're a global alliance of humans standing up against the Trump brand. Antitrump.com started four years ago on March 19th, 2016 with two sketches and a dream for a better world. Nobody thought it was going to be this bad. Most of us probably figured it would just be four more years of the same old... He was a 70-year-old babbling Nimrod. How bad could it really be? Treason is the last of his felonious activities. The Trump brand has hijacked our government and sold Lady Liberty to the mob. We are a leaderless and without the most basic health care systems and community services. COVID-19 is a pandemic, but the Trump brand is the virus. Welcome to the antivirus. Go to antitrump.com and spread the word. Individual politics aren't important. What is important is that we stand together as a unified voice and say enough is enough. That's antitrump.com. Welcome to Strictly Bad Vibes, your personal complaint department. Um... What, what the hell are we talking about? Um, whiny people and their stupid complaints that we requested they send us. Why do we do this? Why, why are we doing this? <laughs> None of which matters in this equation because it is his choice to carry such horse shit on the fucking train. And he was yelling. He was like, move that bitch, move that bitch. And, uh. And uh, I wasn't, I wasn't. I'm just not. I'm not moving it, you know? I've arrived. Why should I move? I don't like what work has been giving us at our free lunches. 115-340-1976, and it does not spell anything. 115-340-1976. Go for it. Call in, guys.
mutinyradio.fm. Hit the donate button, stream them live, download a podcast, have some fun! Everybody, listen to the weekly review with Roman every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. This is an unapologetically anti-capitalist program. We interview community organizers, activists, and artists. We talk about ways you can take action right now. So listen in to the weekly review every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things to you before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dag nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! 499. Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cascott here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just want to let you guys know that each time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and beyond's underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere five dollars every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because five dollars, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere five dollars is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak. I'm So all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse, or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. (laughs) 
Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. We're hosts of... Follow us on podcast by with our acronym L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. We watch a full-length movie on YouTube with you, and you listen to the podcast and watch the movie at the same time. Yeah, L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. Yeah, L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. That's every Sunday, 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, or if you're Carl, 5% Eastern.